And uh, so praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, as we come before you today. We look into your word so that as we get in your word into us, the Holy Spirit has something to work with. We know that if we're born again, if we're saved, we got the Holy Spirit inside of us. How many times is he grieved because he has nothing to work with? Because we gave him nothing that week. We gave him nothing that day. So, Lord, be with us now as we search your word together. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. Be maybe seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of James chapter 1. How is it possible for you to be seated here this morning? And yet have a life-changing encounter with the Jesus who ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. Well, obviously the answer is the Holy Spirit. So several months ago, we started walking through a series on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because we don't want you to just know about God at this church. We want you to experience God. And so here is our thesis for today's study. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real in your relationship with him until he returns. And so part of how the Holy Spirit makes real in the relationship that you have with Jesus and makes all of that real is through what is called progressive sanctification, your personal sanctification. And to be sanctified means to be set apart to serve God in his power. So to be sanctified, i.e. to be holy, does not mean you are sinless. It means you're all the way a disciple and you're serving God in his power, not in your flesh, not in your willpower, not with your mind, but with his mind. And the spirit himself is who makes you holy. And that happens to none of us immediately, but it happens to every believer progressively who surrenders himself or who surrenders herself to this process. Now, let me open a window on that word so that you understand our need for this. Because even after we get saved, it can seem like our life starts falling apart. And, you know, it may seem like we, we lose that supernatural aspect that we so sensed when we first got saved, and we know it should accompany the natural Christian life. Well, what happened? Why do I wake up every day with the same problem? I mean, I consecrated myself to the creator of the universe. And now I don't know how much different I am than I was before. Well, you feel that way because the difference happens at the core of your personality. And this is our first point for study. The process of holiness works progressively as you allow God, what God did inside of you, to become part of all of you. So the misunderstanding is that we thought God was going to change things around us and not life within us. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if when you trust Jesus for every everlasting life, I mean, you know, not only was every sin you ever committed cleared out, but all, all the momentum of the bad choices you made to that point was stopped as well. And then on top of that, if, if there is just no more temptations... No obstacles, no challenges to come. So I think that sometimes we arrive at getting saved with kind of a skewed view of salvation because we don't understand the three tenses of God. 
So when you are born again, you are saved from the penalty of sin past. You are being saved from the power of sin present. And your, your glorified body will one day be saved from the presence of sin in the future. But nobody studies the Bible anymore in order to get that down. Even though we've got types and stories in the Old Testament. I mean, God was very upfront with Israel from the very beginning in preparing them to overcome the Canaanite nations who were occupying the promised land. He had, look at, look at Exodus 23 on your handout. He has Moses talk to them and say, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So it was never God's intention to give Israel the promised land without progression, without exertion, without a growth in strength. And if you do not conquer now as a Christian, you will be defeated forever. So that's why you're not strong today. And so what we need today is holy strength to be a holy saint. And we would like to think the more challenges, problems, or struggles, you know, that there must be something wrong with me and, and I shouldn't face that. No, this is the paradox of every believer's life. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, look, once God told me that, then I, I decided, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Are you weak enough to take pleasure in ailments? to take pleasure in being disrespected and criticized. You know, Christian social media today is telling you to push back against cancel culture. Really? I think Christians have always been canceled. I think believers don't push back against that. They just keep preaching right through it. So, first off, notice if you will, every born-again Christian, and this is number one, needs to develop a going-forward faith. Because God's strength is perfected as you trust him in the midst of your weakness. It's just like the American flag in battle position. I mean, when we look at it, it, it seems backwards because the American soldier is always going forward. So if you have lived all your life thinking that existing in, is living, then the Holy Spirit wants to actually teach you how to live in Christ Jesus. One of the hardest things to change it's whenever you think you have something or you have something down and then you recognize you do not. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to teach us that God's word is life to us. So a huge part of the dynamic of true spirituality and real holiness is that it is about intimacy and not just information. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 there on your handout. Paul says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. God's word is life, not just information. So it has to go beyond your human reason to bring you to a position of trust. And no one else can do that for you but the Holy Ghost. So this Sunday, I want us to enter into that aspect of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which is so critical and so essential to progressive sanctification. And the result of this series on the Holy Spirit should be to help you build the internal muscles to hear God's voice by knowing God's Word and taking you to a position of trust. So let me just take you to our text here in James chapter 1. It's not a sexy passage, it's just practical. James chapter 1, verse 2, he says the same thing that Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 12. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. I mean, how, how many of you have certain things in your life and they just give you such incredible joy? I mean, maybe it's your job, but more likely your paycheck. And it could be your music or your family or your friends or your, your hobby. Uh, it could be activities like reading or sports or travel. Tests and trials are probably not even on your top 10. I mean, they're probably not in the top 100. Uh, they're probably not even on the list. But if you are a masochist who says, you know, I love to suffer, well, then you need more help than I can give you in this sermon. So I'm just, I'm just saying, I, have to, I can't give you that today. But James says that we should have a spiritual autoimmune response. Whenever we fall into a trial, we should automatically count it all joy. Now, all joy means you do not say but and then leave space for a critical word just because you claim that that criticism is true. Because what faith really wants to get you to is trust. Trust, and this is number two, trust where you activate God's grace in your life to make you actually stronger in reality. So there's this paradoxical relationship between these two words, between joy and temptations, which is defined by the synonym in verse three, trying. Uh, Or we would understand this word temptations as facing a test. So today I want to take you through the process so that you can understand how God wants to give you strength through progressive sanctification. Because verse 6 tells us that your faith means nothing as you fall into trials if you do not have the strength to be unwavering. And too many times we put faith in the, in the wrong category because by faith we mean something disconnected from reality. No, you need a going forward faith. You need a progressive growth in being sanctified because in the same way that the word of God gave you life in being born again, it is the Holy Spirit who uses God's word to give you strength as you trust him. So joy in testing is not a natural correlation uh, because when we face either testing or temptation to try us, well, that is when we start to struggle and we become irresolute and we become uncertain and our faith starts to waver and we waver by wondering if God is even for us and we waver by wondering if there's anybody on our side and we waver by questioning everything we were taught and we waver by watching unfed faith 
start to leak out of our soul. And we wander in that wavering in all of these ways because James says the tests are diverse. It's not the same old thing every time. And so we can't get used to it. And, and these are dissimilar. They are distinct. They are different trials, all varied. So what we learned from the last test may not help us in this one. Why must we do an accurate accounting in order to reckon up to the level of all joy whenever we face temptations or tests? Because, you know, when things go well, joy is really easy and, and we don't have to think about it if we're not having pain and problems and predicaments. But I've got to concentrate on joy in order to have it when life gets rough. And so that is the moment I need something not apparent to happen inside of me. I need a recognition. I need an acknowledgement. I need an acceptance of a word outside of me and to meditate on that word to feed me and fill up joy in me. So what is it that I need to have? What is it is a, what is it that a forward faith is about? Well, God is far more interested in your character than in your circumstances because to give you holy strength, and this is number three, he's trying to use trials to shape who you are for eternity. Verse three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh. Okay, you're not being tried because it's random. And you're not being tried because God is cruel and uncaring. And you're not going through pain, suffering, and disappointment because God does not see or Jesus is not concerned. As a matter of fact, Jesus sees you rowing against the headwinds. And though he knows you are in a storm, he will walk right by in order to teach you to shore up your wavering faith by looking to him and trusting his word. So God is doing a deeper work in you through his Holy Spirit and your trust in God's words. Watch, Mark chapter 6. Look at Mark 6 on your handout, verse 48. And Jesus saw his disciples toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them, but they saw him and cried out. The disciples had received words from the mouth of God. Look, get in this ship, Go over to Bethsaida ahead of me on the other side of the lake. So if I've told you to do that, either you're going to get there or I'm a liar and not God. Trust me. Jesus says, look, you know, uh, 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 you've got to trust me. And he gives you a similar word when he says, trust in me and I give you everlasting life. So either you're going to believe that and you're going to live forever or he is a liar and not God. But if he is God, his words are true. And he, he needs to take his word now and shape me for his purpose in eternity. Why do we resent Jesus for the temporary pain? Because we don't want to have a forward faith for the long-term outcome. And yet the trying of your faith measures a couple of things. First, it shows that God knows that you have faith. And second, God knows your faith is stronger than you think it is, even as small as it is. So you will not know how powerful your faith is if it does not get tested. 
Do not live your life with a diminished expression of hope, faith, and love, all because you despise going through trials and you are not willing to develop sanctification. Because when you fall into a temptation or test, God is trying to show you what you do not have, but what he's willing to strengthen you to do. And he will strengthen what you do have. So the trying of your faith works patience. Why do you need to have patience to work for you? Well, because no one gets complete without patience. And that means no one gets their needs met without patience. So let patience have its work in you in order to have holy strength. And this is number four. You must acquire the power of endurance. The thing about patience is its work is perfect, but you got to let it. I mean, if you, you can't rush patience because if you rush patience, it stops working. I mean, it's not patience if you rush it. So verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. No peace missing. Verse 4 is such a wonderful promise. I mean, patience is a perfect work because it's resilient. It is impervious to anything. Some people say Christianity is a crutch because religion is just for the weak. Well, yes, Faith is absolutely for the weak because faith is what makes you stronger. It is your trust in God's words that makes you stronger. If, if your religion makes you weaker, that's called superstition, not faith. And we need to be with Stevie Wonder on this. Superstition ain't the way. But patient endurance in faith, belief in God's words will let the Spirit perform a work in you which makes you mature and complete. You ever feel like you're spiritually bipolar? No, sure I do. Never. Well, all the time. Alan, you know this is the common malady of us new Romans. I mean, every one of our problems seems to be a failure in a, in a mental health-oriented uh, situation. So I'm awesome, but I hate my life. And, and often you don't even create two sentences. You just put a comma right there. And, and so if you're not clear about the process of progressive sanctification, you think something's wrong. You think something's wrong when you're not holy, when that's not what sanctification is about. It's not sinlessness. It, it is set-apartness where you are letting God's power work through you. And that wholeness, which is equivalent to holiness comes through the process of progressive sanctification, a perfect work done in patience. Because fifth, to have holy strength, to be a holy saint. This is number five. You must gain knowledge of God's word so that you can act on it in life. Verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. So now, now I want you to, now that we've made it this far, five verses in, I want you to start at the bottom and work your way up through this passage with me. You're going to need wisdom so that you can be perfect and entire and not lack anything in your life. 
and you're going to need patience in order to do that perfecting work to get you wisdom. And you need trials in order to produce a patience which will do the work, which will bring you perfecting maturity and strength. And so count it all joy when you fall into those trials. You remember the moment in the life of Jesus when he was tempted in the devil out in the wilderness? And I mean, he wasn't just tempted by the devil. I mean, here's, here's Jesus, and even though he was fully God, he didn't so much call himself the Son of God. The devil did, and demons did. When Jesus talked to people, he said he, said he called himself Son of Man, so that we would know he was also fully human. So here he is, fully human, God, fasts 40 days and 40 nights. And with each of the three temptations, Jesus quotes the scriptures. Now, strictly speaking, they did not have a Bible back then because the Holy Bible is all the scriptures of God bound in one book. We've got that now. But Jesus did have and was able to do with his scriptures exactly what we can do with a common King James Bible. We have scriptures so we can use the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. Okay, so here we are. Jesus is the word. So really everything he says is the word of God. And yet Jesus does not just speak to the devil. He quotes God's written words. Now that tells you that if you want wisdom, which will defend and give you complete security through the trials of this life, you must read, heed, and know God's word. Because let me hit you with this definition. Wisdom in Bible context is knowledge from the Word of God acted on in life. Because you're doing ministry. So the Holy Spirit's giving you power. Matthew 4, verse 3, And when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered, Jesus answered and said, It is written. Now capture that. We want to have a vibrant spiritual life. And yet we starve ourselves of the word that God's given us out of his mouth. And if Jesus had to study the Bible and know it, well, how much more do you need to? Because wisdom is simply the application in life of the words that you know. So verse 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know what every word means? Um, The term that we use for that is exegesis. Exegesis means the correct exposition of the English words of your Bible. So that means if you are using a translation that only communicates the ideas of God or the concepts, but not the actual words of God, that is not enough. You know, I preach from a King James Bible. Any place we teach or disciple or anything else, we use King James Bible. I don't, you know, we don't wear that on our sleeve. We don't check at the door to see what translation you come in with. All I'm saying is, I know this. I mean, so to me, it's very simple. Wycliffe made the first complete Bible into English. Actually, it was into Middle English, and the problem was it was manuscript form because the printing press hadn't been invented yet. 140 years later, printing press is invented, so now they're able to actually print a book, which is the Bible, in English. There are six printed revisions. The King James Bible is the seventh. The process stops. That's not my fault. 
And that's not, I mean, God did that. Okay, God was satisfied, process stopped. So, so if it's not God's words in English, we have never had them, and we never will today, because there is a lot less certainty about the word of God today, both texts and methods of translating, than there was back then. And you need in every book, every verse, every word feeding on the words of God because that is what brings life to mere existence. The word of God will do the work. That's not superstition. That is a declaration. That is a declaration. And I'm not Jesus, but test us. Just test us on that. Because either God is real or he's a liar. I think the word of God will do the work for you. And the Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification in your life through the words of God in the Bible. The Old Testament was a type. There was a type for that. There was a picture of that in manna. And and so here's this wafer on the ground all around. And, uh, you know, I go up to each other and say, hey, what it is? Hey, bro, what it is? Because that's what the Hebrew word manna means, what it is. And God is saying, well, just look, just collect it every day and eat it. Every nutrient you need is in the manna, all the protein, all the carbs, all the vitamins, all the minerals, exactly right proportion. I mean, it's better than kale. Everything is better than kale. And no matter how much, how you cook it or how much you eat or don't eat of it, how little of it you eat, you will find, as long as you take it every day, you will find yourself completely replenished for that day. Patient acquisition, apply it to life by eating, digest it, and you will find your strength for the day and bright hope for tomorrow. God says, I gave you that mnemonic learning device called manna so that you would know what to do with my words I am giving you in your Bible. So check this, manna was only good the day you collected it, but but I know you. You collected for two days in case tomorrow God changed his mind about you. But what happens is it it stinks and breeds worms. Unless it's on a Friday, and then it would last two days for the Sabbath. Because we know you're assembling with believers on Sunday, and so I do my Bible reading schedule there in the prayer diary for Monday through Saturday. So you walk into the store to buy some manna. And the expiration date says 24 hours, except on Fridays. But as soon as the Sabbath is over, it's back to lasting only one day. Because in the final analysis, God wants you to know that you can have holy strength to be a holy saint. And this is number six, by giving the Spirit a sword through giving him the words of God that you picked that day and digested. That is why so many believers fail in progressive sanctification Because every day you have to be fully dependent on God for your life. And there is a direct correlation between real life and his words. Do you want to hear Jesus calling? Meditate on God's word. This is where your strength comes in by God speaking and you reading and then trusting every single day. I remember the first time as a kid getting the wind knocked out of me. There was this place out on 350 Highway, just you're exiting Raytown, and had a big parking lot, and so they put this huge, gigantic, giant slide 
I mean, today we have, um, you know, the bouncy houses and stuff like that. It was just a, this was just a huge metal slide. And so, uh, you know, uh, the neighbors next door said, hey, you want to come out with our son and we'll take you and, and, and you go down the slide. And okay, so we went out there. And I don't know who had done this, but somebody had put a, a roll of wax paper at the top. So what you did was they gave you, you paid your money, they gave you a burlap sack and you were to slide down that giant slide on this burlap sack. And, but somebody had left this roll of wax paper and I thought, huh, well, I'm not just going to put a piece. I'm, I'm going to get wax paper as long as my sack is and put it, put it underneath and I'm going to go down the slide. And that seemed like a good idea until the last hill and you're coming down and coming down and coming down. But then I totally overshot the whole last hill, went out of the parking lot, bam. And, you know, and, and my friend's parents come up to me and they're, I'm, you know, on the ground and they're looking down at me. Are you all right? And I'm like, <gasps> you know, um, even as adults, we still get the wind knocked out of us. And that happens by spouses, by accidents, by sudden death. We trade climbing trees for climbing corporate ladders, but it still hurts us to fall. And we don't cut our fingers as much, but we still get sliced by words. David, the man after God's own heart, had to confess and cry. In Psalm 119, look there on your handout, verse 153. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Watch, my trust in the words out of your mouth is what is going to enable you to deliver me. Verse 154, plead my cause and deliver me, quicken me, make me alive according to thy word. And we say, why doesn't God do miracles anymore? But if your life does not press you beyond the orbit of your own ability to the spot of the Holy Spirit's strength, why do you even need a miracle? If you're not involved in every member ministry so that God is giving you power to do that, why do you even need, what, what would a miracle prove? If you're standing outside the fire, instead of traveling through down the gauntlet, if, if you're not in the middle of the wilderness, if you're not taking on a level of sacrifice that demands courageous faith, why should God show up? Is it possible that you are living such a safe life that you're boring God? I mean, you feel like God doesn't pay attention to you, but that's because he's bored. And, 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 and making your need for him obsolete, because here's our final point for study. If your life is something you can live in your own flesh, then you don't need the Holy Spirit. So I need you to know how to have strength that you need to have to face the life that you are facing. And strength is connected to the Holy Spirit and your progressive sanctification by your trust in God's word, because that is what puts life in you. Israel was conquered by everybody, every Gentile nation that came in contact with God's people so that they could hear God's word. So they were conquered by Egypt, they were conquered by Assyria, they were conquered by Babylon, by Persia, and finally Rome. And one empire after another held them captive. They lost their nation, lost their temple, lost their Bible, lost their faith. But then a remnant comes back and they find the words of God again. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, you can see it there on your handout. Ezra stands up for the first time in their lifetime. 
They can hear the very words of God preserved by the scribes and the priests. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood up upon a pulpit of wood which they'd made for the purpose. And beside him stood a bunch of you know people whose names I'm not going to pronounce. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Verse 8, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And that is Bible exegesis. It is every word from the mouth of God being explained. And then verses 9 and 10 talk about how, you know, they read the word and the people hear the word and now they're so sorry because they know they haven't lived up to, to the word and, and, they, and God was entirely justified in sending them into exile. And, and that's, you know, so Nehemiah and Ezra have to get up and say, verse 10, look, look, don't go out like that. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for the day is holy unto the Lord. The day that you hear God's word, and you decide to act on it in faith, trusting him, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we quote that all the time out of context. But but do you see what the joy of the Lord is? The Lord's joy is to give you his words and to exegete every word because that explanation which you trust in is your strength. So it's not suffering which is redemptive per se. It is your clinging to God's every word in the suffering and that is the Lord's joy and that gives you strength. When you exegete every word and meditate on its explanation, you are eating the fat, you are drinking the sweet. And after you do that, you will have portions to send to those who have nothing. Because it's given for you to use in ministry. So stop grieving. Stop feeling filled with guilt and shame. God's word is not given to you for that. God will know that you have connected to him and you found life in Jesus because you are alive with holy strength and that gives him joy. You'll not be judged and condemned here. You get life here. I mean, Sundays at harvest are the greatest party on the planet. We need to get the word out because we have discovered how to be patient in suffering and convert that into strength for our life in eternity. So today we, we, we gave you the Bible as we do every Sunday which is the inscripturated word of God. But do you know Jesus, who is the incarnate word of God? He promises you everlasting life if you will trust his word, trust in his name, because his name means the Lord is Savior. The Lord saves. Go ahead and stand together with us, if you will. My time's up. I thank you for yours. I want you to have the strength to live life three ways. Live life three ways. The strength to live life, making it through the wilderness, defeating the giants on the other side, and glorifying God by bringing others into that kingdom. It is all of grace, and you can only access it by faith in Jesus' words to you. 
Believe his words today for exactly what he promises, everlasting life. And then you are born again. You are born spiritually, which lasts forever. And that is what being a Christian means. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All you have to do today is pray. Just pray and say, Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. I repent because I want to be converted. I believe. So make me born again in Jesus' name. And if you give Jesus your life, he will give you his life. And the Holy Spirit will fill you as you get into his word. So if you pray that today, come up here and meet me or one of our altar counselors here at the front, either while we're singing or after we get done, because I want to give you a book that I've written, which will show you the next steps to take in the Bible, the next steps in the Christian life.